we are, if you're new here or you haven't been here in a while, uh, we're in the midst of a series, right here in about the middle of a series called Community Matters, about what God is doing to redeem a people and what God is, and how those people are supposed to operate together. And over the next, not this Sunday, but then over the next four weeks or so, you'll be hearing uh, preaching from three of our community group leaders or community group host members as a part of this series. So people who are trying to help live this out in our church, so you're going to hear them over the next few weeks. As I say, well, yeah, they, they need to run too because they're the ones kind of front lines trying to help us do this. And so we're going to go into a few weeks after, uh, after this Sunday on just stuff that can, can be difficult for churches to be able to live out together. But we're still kind of in the, in the foundation building stage on what actually exists here. And we start with just the, maybe the reputation of certain churches in America, and we might, might, we might be one of those, but we do have a reputation as Americans, especially evangelicals, for doing church, you know what I mean by you know, doing church. You might even be able to say like playing church, like we can really pull it off. You know, we, we like big, you know, want things big and bright, we like shine, we like size. There have actually been conferences put on to help people learn how to double their church size or increase their budgets and maximize their ministry potential. Books are written about how to grow your church in certain ways and certain strategies for church growth. And they kind of move from like the first thing you see when you walk into a bookstore to a mass market paperback in about a week and a half because you kind of move on with the trend and whatever the trend is kind of adjusts and you just keep going. And yet, even though we know, I think, I think you know this too, but even though we know that like that feels, it just doesn't feel real, right? Like, okay, great, it's big, but so what? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't feel, you kind of go, is this really what the Lord has for us? It's like just, just, you know, spectacular services and really dynamic things and, you know, is this, is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Is this really how we're supposed to be living? Is this really what, is this all of it? It's all of church life. And you might be going, yeah, but I mean, a good production and good preaching, good worship, those things are good and valuable. Yeah, we want to have, you know, we, we don't want to stink at what we do. Like, like, that's not our goal. I don't sit there and go, how could I preach the worst sermon anyone's ever heard? Like, that's not, that's not what I do. And when Matt and I meet, I don't go, hey, Matt, could you please be sure that you just lay an egg today? Like, that would, that's really, like, let's, let's go out of our way to be terrible. We don't want to do that. We, we want to, even knowing that our offerings are, are only made per, perfected by Jesus, even knowing that, we still want to give our best, right? We still, we still want to do well. We still care about how people hear, and, and I don't want to have to be fidgeting with my mic all the time, so I get the right ear loop so I stop fidgeting, which if you haven't noticed, I'm not a fidgeter anymore. And so I understand why you might go, hey, it's still good to care about you know, being ordered, and it is, that's fine, absolutely fine. We care about that, we talk about the flow of the service, how things will work, what are our group leaders discussing, how do D groups look, like we put energy into those things, but at the same time, at the same time, we don't want gimmicks, but gimmicks can fill chairs, they really can. Gimmicks can get people engaged. Gimmicks can, it can, can make you feel like something's happening when really something isn't, isn't happening. You, know, you might have heard the stories before 
uh, try to track it down, but stories where somebody might go, hey, you know, your church seems great. It seems like you've accomplished a lot without the Holy Spirit, right? Because like just man-made ingenuity can just kind of pull off a cool strategy or do a cool thing or give a cool talk, and, and that's kind of it. But honestly, all that aside, there's a power that exists for the church that we often neglect. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Like, like the thing that makes us who we are. The thing that, the thing that, the, 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 the idea, but like the, the Holy Spirit. So this is a, a pneumatology sermon, if you like, you know, theological terms. Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. But how does he engage us and in, in dwell us? And, and, and what does that change about us? You know, like I said, you've likely heard the phrase that, the Holy Spirit could leave the church in America tomorrow and we might not even notice. And we'll just kind of keep going along with business as usual because I, I do think it's something we struggle with to go, how, how do we engage with this third person of the Trinity? How do, how, how do, we, how do we understand how he functions in, in this? It, it, it's appropriate that our, if you walk in, you see the phrase making Jesus known. I mean, that's like, Yes, we are Christians. Um, we follow the risen Lord Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, has a role in what that even means for us. Has a role in how Jesus is proclaimed and how Jesus is known. Has a role in illuminating hearts and, and using these people for God's purposes. So... The question sometimes we have to think about is like, when we do this, are we, are we living in our strength or are we living in the Lord's strength? So if you've walked with us for these first four sermons or so, we start with what did God originally create? And he created a, a world in which his people were supposed to, created in his image, were supposed to reflect his image throughout all the world. But sin entered in and our ability to fulfill what God had blessed us and commanded us to do has then been marred. Now we have a problem. Every human relationship has been distorted. Our relationship with this earth, our relationship with God has been distorted. So we have a problem, and that problem has to only be solved by God himself. The Son of God becomes man, dies for us. Through faith in him, we are made right with God, but we are also made right with one another. And this is a community emphasis series, and so we go to Ephesians 2 and see, how did God make us right with each other? And what does that change about the look of this place and, and how the people care for one another and those expectations that we have and how we might even engage around differences? Then last week about how Jesus is building us into a people and that we're living stones and we have a purpose in this building that is being built up. The question today is how does all that get sustained? How does that get sustained? I mean, we're reading, we're reading the, apostle, or, uh, the Apostle Peter talk about how he's building us into living stones, but that was, you know, first century A.D. Here we are in 2021. Is that still happening? Like, that's a pretty long building project, if you ask me. That's a, that's a long building project, longer than any building project I know of, and yet it's still going on. So how is this sustained? Because it outlives all of us. Started before us, it's going to keep going after us. How is this sustained? And you already know the answer. This is sustained through the Holy Spirit. This is sustained through the Holy Spirit. So, 
We don't have just one passage today. The Ephesians 5 is where we are going to end. And I think it's important for us to end there because we actually get to see what it means to be filled with the Spirit, which is a kind of a buzzword sometimes where people think it means different things. So we'll let Ephesians 5 tell us what being filled with the Spirit means. But what we're going to see is we're just going to kind of make a little chronological move from, you know, how did Jesus speak about the Spirit before the Spirit was sent to what has the Spirit done? How has he enabled community life to... How then do we, do we live this out, right? So we're kind of, can I make this month to jump from what Jesus had said to then what happens when the Spirit comes and enters into those people on Pentecost to now, well, how do we, how do we actually, how is this sustained? We're not t- discussing every passage, and like I said, this is, we, could, we could have a whole sermon series on pneumatology if you wanted to. We could just have the pneumatology sermon series. I probably wouldn't call it that. Um, but I, we would call it something on the Holy Spirit, and we could develop this whole idea on what the Spirit is doing. But here are just some of the ideas that we have to hold on to and, 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 and realize as we try to live out this life together. And the first thing that we see is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the promised, is, is the promised helper for us, and, and it has a direction. It's a promised helper in our proclamation, Helps us to, to testify about Jesus, to speak of Jesus, to, to engage the world for Jesus. And so we'll start with the words of Jesus, that Jesus instructs in the Spirit multiple times, but we're going to look at John 15, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. In John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking about how the world hates him. He's with his disciples, he's close to his death, but he's talking about how the world hates him. And, and the assumption then goes, well, if the world hates me, I'm going to hate you. Right? I mean, there are sometimes like family rivalries that have been going on in other parts of the world for centuries, right? Like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Like we just kind of go and we don't like each other for certain reasons. And so there have been these kind of rivalries that have been going on forever. But remember the first rivalry was between the seed of Eve and the seed of the serpent, right? Like that's the rivalry that's been going on forever. But we have Jesus saying, if you're with me, right, the world hates me, they're going to hate you. I say this, like kids in the room, imagine if your parents, maybe, maybe you don't even have to imagine, but imagine if your parents had a reputation that kids in your class didn't like. They knew your last name, they go, oh, you're a Googer. We know Googers. We don't like, that's my last name if you didn't know. It's a weird name, that's how you pronounce it. I was called Grogger yesterday. I'm like, that R comes way late in the name, man, but Grogger it is. Maybe he played Frogger as a kid. Maybe the reputation isn't deserved, but it's there. And so people hate your mom and your dad. And because you're connected to your mom and your dad, when you go to school, they don't care for you either. Right? Because you're connected to this whole group of people. So now the assignment in school is, tell me about your parents. Right? Now you have to stand up in front of your class and you have to tell the whole class about <laughs> we got one kid oh, not doing that. Right now the assignment in school is tell me about your parents. But everybody already knows your parents. They don't like your parents. So now you have to have a conversation with your classmates about how you don't like your you know, here are the parents and they don't like and no one likes them. Well that doesn't sound that fun, but Jesus is like, come on in, this is what happens. If they do it to me, they'll do it to you. And it's almost like we're supposed to be cool with that. Right? Like I, that's very uncomfortable for me. Is it uncomfortable for you to go, well, I don't really I don't know many people who like being disliked. 
maybe some of you weirdos do, but like in general, not being liked is not fun. You don't want to go to places where you're hated. You don't want to go to places where people don't care about you, where you're you know, spat upon and laughed at and mocked. Like that's not really like, that's not your best life now, I don't think. Like that's not what you want. And yet Jesus is setting his disciples up to say, I mean, Jesus didn't really seem to care about a crowd, for one. He just was like, this is how it's going to be. But, but, this is what I love. Though the disciples might be thinking, just to themselves, Jesus is saying this, I don't really know if I like what Jesus is telling me. Look at what he says in John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. He says this, but when the helper comes, which is another name for that third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So when the helper comes, he will bear witness about me and you will bear witness about me. Almost like, you know, he also says things like when you go before people and they want to imprison you, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. But what he's doing is saying, you actually don't have to worry about what you're going to say because in, in that moment, the helper comes and testifies about me. And it's almost like this. Like, like what Jesus is doing is, is you feel sometimes maybe when you evangelize or you share your faith, you feel like a lot of burden yourself to go, I got to say this the right way. I got to do the right thing. I really like, I, I got I to be, be bowed up and prepared for whomever I might be speaking with because I, I just have to be able to, you know, dismantle anything they might say and make them feel small for their uh, pagan worldview. Or like, like, and Jesus goes, they're going to hate me. And when the helper comes, he will testify about me. And you will testify about me. Which removes the burden. It removes the burden from the speaker to have to actually be all prepared. Because, right, what is evangelism? But really, it's, it's our work as evangelists, but it's really work of God. He changes hearts. He changes men, women, children. He's the one that does the work of conversion. And, and so, like, when I talk to my students about this, the, the thing they keep coming back to is, it's just so freeing to know that it's really God who's the one working. Like, I don't have, you know, because, like, you feel like you've ever been there where you share Christ with somebody, and, you, like, they say three things, and you have no answer to it. You don't even know what you're supposed to say anymore. And you get done, you're kind of processing it, and you're like, man, I really, I really screwed that thing up. I didn't share that right. But you know what? The Spirit is the one who connects the dots. The Spirit is the one who makes this work. So let's look at this. Spirit is the helper. Your translations might say advocate or counselor. That language, he is God sent from the Father. Or from the Father and the Son, depending on your pneumatology. The whole Eastern and Western church split over that very idea uh, in how they were giving their creeds together. Like It's called the filioque, or filioque, if you want to say it like that. The Spirit aids, advocates, and enables the work of the disciples in the world. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth, meaning that the Spirit only bears witness of true things. The Spirit focuses attention on Jesus. The Spirit speaks to or bears witness to the person of Jesus, and the Spirit uses the disciples. I've said this before, but it's a helpful image for me, and I can't remember the author who said it. So forgive me, author, if you're living or, or dead. But 
The Spirit has a spotlight ministry. Like you know, you know that, that the Spirit is active when people are understanding Jesus better. Because, because his work is to shine light on the truth of Jesus. And so as we understand the person of Jesus better, you can be sure that the Spirit was working. Because the Spirit has the ministry of illuminating, highlighting, spotlighting Jesus. I mean, Jesus says it. He will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. So as people grow in their knowledge of Christ, they grow in Christ's likeness, it is a work of the Spirit. And this idea is consistent before the resurrection. Jesus speaks here in John 15. He speaks about it in other places. But look at this. Even So we have the resurrection in John 15. But pre-resurrection, Jesus speaking these things in John 15. Post-resurrection, pre-ascension Jesus, right? This is the, the other one. The resurrected body Jesus, Acts 1.8. You might know this passage. The disciples are coming to Jesus. And they want to know, is this the time you're going to return the kingdom? Like, is this what's going to happen? He's been with them for 40 days after his resurrection, speaking to them, teaching them, instructing them. And they get there and they have... They have this question about, like, well, is now the time? Because it wasn't when you were here on you know, earth before your resurrection. So maybe now's the time that you restore the kingdom and, and things work differently. And what does he say? First, he says, don't worry about that. And he gives them their mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Interesting, because he talks about how the Spirit witnesses in John 15. He's saying it in, John, in Acts 1 8 as well. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will testify. You will speak of what you have seen, what you know. And the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, so you will testify to those true things. Now, this is all pre-ascension. Right? Jesus even will say, it's better that I leave you because if I leave you, then the helper can come. Right? But while I'm with you, that can't happen. So Jesus ascends right after that in Acts 1. And this becomes a reality. For 10 days, the disciples wait. So from day 40 to day 50, Pentecost, the disciples wait. So for 10 days, they are waiting for what Jesus said was going to happen. They're waiting for the Spirit to come, but the Spirit hasn't come yet. Day 1 turns to day 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way to day 10. But now we're at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost where people are coming and they're going to worship God in Jerusalem. And then that's when the Holy Spirit comes. It's promised in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends. Ten days pass. And on Pentecost, the Spirit is sent. And immediately in Acts chapter 2, we see the first fruits of what Jesus would say. They're testifying. People begin speaking languages that they have never known. And those who are from other countries who are in Jerusalem for Pentecost are going, How in the world are they speaking languages? I know this language. I was raised in this language. I understand this language. And I'm hearing them speak of the mighty. Things of God. People from all over the Mediterranean region are there. And they're confused. So they're trying to connect the dots because they don't have a category for what's going to happen. So what are the dots do they connect? Probably the same dots we would connect. I guess they're drunk because that always makes you smarter. 
and able to learn languages that are coherent for other people from other countries to know. So they're trying to, like, they're trying to do that. But it's funny because Peter doesn't actually even critique the fact that that doesn't make any sense. He just goes, it's too early for them to be drunk. Like, why, why would you even be saying that? It's too early. No. So what does Peter do? But he begins to say, no, this is something that was spoken of by the prophet Joel before the son was even incarnate in this world. Joel was saying, the Spirit's going to be poured out, and everybody on all flesh will be able to speak of me and see mighty works and do mighty works. So he speaks about, he, he sees what's going on. He goes, no, this was what Joel said was going to happen, the prophet Joel. And so he's tying this coming of the Spirit to what had been promised before the incarnation as God's movement and really kind of the, the expansion of the expectation of how the nations are going to come to know him. See, there was a, there was a confusion because the expectation for Jesus was, hey, you're going to come, bring back that kingdom, and destroy all our enemies, and things are going to be good. And so there was that expectation. That's why even the disciples asked the question, hey, is now the time? Okay, it wasn't when you were here before your crucifixion, but now that that's over with, is it now? And he goes, don't worry about that. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes. And so now this, this, this next phase of filling the world with people who know God is moved along by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is indwelling these people and sealing these people. And right, so it's another phase in what God has been doing from the very beginning. Peter stands up. He gives his sermon. Now, the interesting thing about Peter is not two months prior, what is Peter doing? But being like, I don't know, no Jesus. I don't know him. Never heard of him. Right? 50 days prior. I don't know Jesus. Who are you talking about? Jesus? What? Never heard of him? Like, no, I, I promise. Like, I, look, at my, look at my phone. I, I was, I was t- watching him teach. and there, there you are. I took a picture of it. You're right there. That's you. Oh, not me. Jesus said this was going to happen. What I love, and we've, we've said this before, but that Peter versus Acts 2 Peter, what's the difference? Jesus reinstates John 21. He has this moment where he goes, Peter, you're back, man. Don't. Like, he holds no ill will against Peter for rejecting him, which I would never be able to. If somebody rejected me while I was dying, I'd be like, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I'm done. But Jesus brings him right back into the fold. Talks about how he loves him. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. The spirit comes, and what does Peter do now? Well, Peter's standing in front of thousands, and he's like, let me tell you something about Jesus. I mean, there he is. Let me tell you about Jesus. And what he's done. And how you rejected him. But how you can have life in him. 50 days ago, Peter, that ain't happening. He's not saying that. He's trying to hide. Right? He's trying to hide. Now, no hiding. With absolute confidence, he stands before people and he says, because why? The Spirit's the Spirit of truth. And so he has no problem to say, let me tell you what's going on here. God said this was going to happen. God said this was going to happen. It is happening now. You can see it. And though you have rejected the Messiah, you can believe in him. They're cut to the heart and they say, what must we do? What should we do? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus. Many of you said, you will have salvation. Salvation will come to you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Which is awesome. I just have to say this. Like, for anybody here today who is not a Christian, if you feel like you have to do 30 jumping jacks, 15 push-ups, run two miles, and then maybe you will have suffered enough for God to want you in. No. No. You, you have to imagine that there are people in that crowd in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost who just 50 days ago were reveling in the fact that they got the guy. They got him. That usurper. We got him. And Peter's not looking at them and going, well, first feel bad for a long time. He goes, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Right? You'll be forgiven. You have the Spirit. And I think it's important for us to remember that, that for all of us who, who are far from God, who don't have faith in Jesus, is that there aren't 300 steps to then get right with God. Right? Because God made the most significant movement, which was to come to us. God saves us by grace through faith. We just believe. We just believe. So after all that happens, thousands believe. We have this little passage, and it's one of my favorite passages. I hope it's one of yours too. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is the new community. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through all the apostles, through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, I, like I said, I love this passage. I hope you love this passage. I love seeing how our early brothers and sisters pursued Jesus. I love seeing the commitment they had to one another. I love seeing their generosity. I love seeing their commitment to truth. I love seeing how they shared. I love seeing that they would eat and celebrate. Maybe, maybe part of this was celebrating of the Lord's Supper together. But they're there. They're breaking bread. They're eating. They're, they're with one another. The temple had yet to be destroyed. And so they're in the temple course because these are... Jewish background believers, and they, they, that's where they go. Right? Where do you go? I go to the Jewish temple. And so they're in the temple, and they're at their homes, and they're spending time together, and they're learning about their Savior. It's awesome. And I just I, I think for a moment, because as I was talking to some guys earlier this past week, I said, and I've shared with you, I've seen one church that has gotten anywhere near that way of living. One in all my years of church life, I've seen it once. Um, so I know it's possible-ish, right? Like, I, I, know, I, know it's, I know there's something there. But I mean, these are hundreds of people who were there just giving away, like, their door codes. And people are showing up at the house at 10 o'clock at night bringing food over. And people are showing up at 7 in the morning for studying, like, study hall. 
Like, and those who had, like, who were trained and be able to kind of help younger college students be trained. Like, yeah, come over at 7 o'clock. What college student gets out of bed at 7 o'clock? I don't even know. But these people are coming over to study at 7 o'clock. They're having people over for devos together. Like, it was just bananas what I was seeing. And everybody was just talking and sharing and being honest. I remember one guy said that he was dating this, this girl. He told me this, which was, I'm like, that's great, man. Go for it. Um, he goes, but, and this is, this is what was crazy. He goes, but I haven't, he's like, my leadership knows, like the people in my life, like my church, they're aware of it, and, and, and like they know. He's like, but honestly, we haven't yet told those around, around us, like in our circle of, of friendships. And you're like, well, why? He's like, because if it doesn't work out, we just don't want it to be weird. And you guys know the youth ministry dating where like there's a you know, power couple in the youth group and they're dating and they break up and then you, get, like, you, have, a, you have a church split over the youth ministry, like that kind of stuff. Where now you have two churches because one's over here and one's over there and we think you hurt her and you, we think you hurt him and it's, like, it's all over, right? The youth ministry church split. Families go to new churches. Everybody's mad at one another. And I just love that answer. His answer was, well, we don't know if this is going anywhere. And we don't want it to affect how we operate as a church family. And so we're interested in one another. I don't even, I haven't followed up. I think I still have the guy's number in my phone. I should just go, hey, how's it going? I used you in your sermon illustration. Um, but I loved the heart because what the heart was, I'm concerned about how we operate. How we operate. And I don't know if this is anything, but it's certainly not the most important thing. These were the people who, like their first car out of college was a minivan so that they could drive other people to church, right? Like, like, you know, get a job. They were getting jobs that were, like, flexible so they could work from home and be more available to meet with people. So if they didn't know what they were going to do, they were like, well, you know, major in something that's going to give you flexibility and buy a minivan. So I've never seen 22-year-olds gladly, joyfully driving around in minivans, but these people did it. Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> like, let me show you my new vehicle. I'm so proud of it, right? Not a sports car, not like an SUV, nothing like that. Not shiny. It's like you pulling up in your Honda Odyssey just bumping music, right? But they had caught something. They had caught something about what God does. But here's the thing. You can go give away your door codes. You can go buy a Honda Odyssey. You can... Go be friends with people and, and be nice. And you can sell your car and give the proceeds. You can do all those things. But if you don't place Acts 2 in its proper context, then you actually miss how it's able to happen. And it happens not before the Holy Spirit comes, but after the Holy Spirit comes. That if you're not careful, what you, what you end up doing is going, well, well, let's just start doing those things. But those things happened because the Spirit came. And a, a group of brothers and sisters yielded to the Spirit of Christ will live like that. And I go for Genesis, like, is this even possible? Is this possible? And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just go, is, is this really possible? Because honestly, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I'll put myself in this as well. Honestly, our expectation on what church life is is rather small. Right? I want, I want people with morals. People with morals who like my kids. I want my kids to be able to have friends. I want to have some friends, but really, if I don't have those, I'm fine. I have enough friends, so like, I'm not really even looking for that. Um, I want you to, to call, you know, be able to answer the phone when I call, 
But that's really it. Like, I, you know, I, you're there if I need you. Right? You're there if I need you, but really often I don't. Like our, our, our desire for what is at our disposal, I think, sometimes is just so small. Our longing for, for this type of life. It's like, no, I'm pretty good. I'm good. Have my job, have my family, have my things. Like, you know, when I get tired of what Genesis offers, I'll go find the church that's offering the thing that I want. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, I'm not, I've been in churches long enough to know. This is what I say. If you've been at a church 10 years straight, then you're probably going to stay. If not, see you later. You know, if you need recommendations, let me know. Because like, it's, this is what we do. We kind of go, well, I'm in a different stage of life, and things are different, and this person annoyed me, and I don't like that anymore, and the pastor changed, and that changed, and it's just time to move on. It's time to move on. But why? Why do we do that? I think it's because really we, in, in, our, in our lives, we just go, I want to hear sermons I like, around people I like, I want my kids to be around people they like, and as long as those things are humming, you will never hear from me unless there's a problem. And then you hear from them. Well, you know, they said this thing at youth group, or this thing happened, or you said this thing in your sermon, and it kind of bothered me. And go, okay. But here's what I think, Genesis I think we can be that. I do. I think we can be a different kind of church. Not because we're awesome, but because Jesus rose and he sent his spirit. And I know you. And you care about his word. And you care about one another. And it is really daunting to go, what happens when I'm kind of all in here? What happens when I just go, okay, spirit, like, this, okay, let's do it. I'm here. I'm in. What happens when we do that? And it's not I'm here if you, you know, I'll let you know if I need you, but it's, we remove the first part. We just go, I need you. I need you. That's way harder. Because it removes my ability to decide, Right? that I need you. I just kind of go, no, I, I need you. I need you. I absolutely believe that we can be that, the beautiful community that happens because of the work of the Spirit. The Spirit, we have to remember this, the Spirit is the enabler in church life. That's what, that's what makes it happen. That's what makes it happen. That's why my prayers so often are like, Lord, just do more with what we are offering you than we could ever do. Do more with it. Because I can't do it. Right? Take my sermon. I think it's a dud. Could you make it maybe like a dud plus three? Like that would even be fine. Just do more than I could do with it. Do more. But the longer you exist in church life, like one of two things happen. The better you get at playing it. You kind of know what to say, what to do, how to engage. You kind of have, you better you get at playing it. Or, and this is the more positive vision of what we could be, or the more you realize you need it. The more you realize you need it. Now, from Acts 2 to Ephesians 5, there's a bit of a tension. We see this Acts 2 community. We don't see it a lot through the book of Acts. We see the Jerusalem church able to do this. We see some, not hints, but, but just kind of explaining of generosity of churches as they're, 
the, you know, like they're meeting the needs because a famine hits, and they now they're giving money to the Jerusalem church, and Paul is fundraising for the Jerusalem church, and he's going to bring it, uh, bring it on back, like bring back the, the, the gifts. And so if you read some of, like, you start to read all these people who are with Paul on his missionary journeys, and you're like, where do all these people come from? They're basically like the guardians of that church's money. Like if we're sending $10,000 with somebody, you go, hey, Hans, you go too. We want to be sure that money gets to where it's headed. And so there's this whole crew of people following Paul around, really, in part because they're all part of giving this money to the Jerusalem church. And so we do see generosity, we see care, we see sharing. We don't always see, throughout the book of Acts, that type of spirit-infused community. But what we see is this tension where Jesus said it, and we've seen it expressed. There's so much at our disposal, right, that there's so much for it, for, for us in God, and yet... I, th- I think many of us would just kind of self-identify as, man, it doesn't really seem like either I care about that that much or that I see that that often. I'm not sure which one it is. Hopefully it's not the first, but it probably is, right? Either I don't care about it that much or I just don't see it that often, you know. If you're here thinking, man, if everybody would just be like me in church life, we'd be way better. Way better. Well, that's not necessarily the best perspective either. So what is it? W- what is it? Now, there's this concept in Scripture called being filled with the Spirit. Now, this word, or this phrase, I think gets some of the most bananas understanding on what it actually means as expressed in Scripture, right? Like, like if you look in the Old Testament, there's even these phrases of, and then the Spirit came upon them, right? They're filled with the Spirit. And, and when they're filled with the Spirit, it, it, it's, really, it's really about their laser focus on Jesus, Right, their ability to proclaim, their ability to share, and we will mean all kinds of other stuff. Right, like, well, is your church spirit filled? I'm like, I think so, but I don't know what you mean. Right, like, like I don't know what you mean because sometimes when you say is your church spirit filled, you might mean something else. And I just, you know, we got to be sure our definitions are the same. So let's look at Ephesians chapter five, where Paul is sharing with the Ephesian church about how to walk with God as a church, and he's reminded them of Christ's work for them. And now he's focusing their attention in chapter 5 on how they might live, how they speak, how they share, how they care. Chapter 5, starting in verse 15, this is what was read earlier. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, which would be in the way of the world, the way you used to be, because he talks about that Gentile, now you're a new distinction. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil, so you live wisely. Therefore, do not be foolish. Again, operating in the way of the world, foolishly. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now there's the language, filled with the Spirit. Now I want you just to look at what's going on right here between filled with the Spirit and drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine means do not give control of yourself over to wine. Don't do it. So when it's be filled with the Spirit, do not be this way, but be filled with the Spirit. It's really about living a life that is controlled by the Spirit. Controlled by the Spirit. Don't give control over here. right? Don't be controlled by your anger. Don't be controlled by wine. Don't be controlled by your passions and your love. Don't let that control you. Rather, rather be controlled by the Spirit. And now look. He doesn't leave you hanging, and this is what I love. 
Paul doesn't leave you hanging with what that means. He actually is going to start giving you what that, how that expresses itself. And look at how it expresses itself, because like he's not talking about crazy things, right? Like he's not talking, like it's it just like, listen to this. It seems like actually being filled with the Spirit is normal church life. Like that's what it is. Look, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? Those categories are like just like, True songs and hymns, ways you would sing, spiritual songs, singing about your Savior, singing these to one another, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So your first explanation about being filled with the Spirit is that I'm singing? Yeah. Yeah. We're addressing what we're speaking truth. We're singing truth. And I tell you, you probably feel the same way, right? There are, there are few more beautiful moments than when we're together in this room and we can, right, we hear the sound of the saints singing. It just does something. When we're, when we're singing truth and we're remembering it and we're hearing it, something that happens when truth gets put to verse that just embeds itself within us. So be filled with the Spirit. Singing. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. So just being, having gratitude is a part of being filled with the Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, it is. Why? Because when you're filled with the Spirit, what do you recognize? That this life, my power is not my own. So I'm glad for everything. Right? You're just, I'm glad, I'm so grateful. Right? When you see somebody on a Sunday, you can go, it is just so good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. And you can mean it, right? Like not that fake play church thing, but you actually mean, I am so glad to see you. I am so glad that you're here. I'm glad I get to sit in these chairs. It's just having, like you almost feel like you're being fake if you're just glad for everything. It's like, come on, you're really glad for that? You're really grateful for that? Corey Ten Boom, are you really grateful for the lice that you had? Like, 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 but in her, you know, in her even story, yes, I am. I'm grateful for the lice because it kept guards away so we could share the gospel more. They didn't come into our bunkhouse because it was too much lice. The guards didn't want it. She was grateful for lice. So singing, right? Isn't singing testifying, right? When you're singing and you're, like, you're testifying about things of God. Giving thanks, aren't you testifying? Speaking about God's provision, recognizing what he's done. And then look at this one, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What? So part of being filled, filled with the Spirit is that we submit to one another? Well, have you ever been in an argument and not want it to win? Where the most important thing is getting your point across and really owning it, right? Owning them. I'm going to show you you're wrong. I cannot wait. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's like, no, it's okay. Your way's better. 
because the concern is not on winning, right? Like, like there, there, there's this idea of submissiveness, even in the church family, which is otherworldly. Otherworldly. So just summarizing a few of these, a wise walk uses time and knows God's will, right? Which for us would be God's word. It's not like the, hey, yeah, you get the divining rod and you're like, God, should I turn left or should I turn right? Right? Like, what do you want me to do here? Should I put my seatbelt on or should I not put my seatbelt on? Like, that's not how we're, we're talking about it, right? It's, it's discerning. It's seeking the scriptures. It's discussing the scriptures. It's understanding what pleases the Lord and seeking to do those things. A wise walk does this. Wisdom is knowing what God wants and walking in those ways. A wise walk is filled with the Spirit. Bible knowledge alone doesn't make you walk with God, does it? Plenty of people know the Bible, don't know God. A wise walk isn't just about knowledge, it's about filling your every being with the power of God's Spirit. I had this, I had this uh, mentor who's since been with the Lord, and he would talk about a cup, and he was really big on scripture memory. It was a big thing of his. Uh, and, and he would say, the more you're aware of God's word, the more, the more the spirit can use in those moments to remind you of what is true and how to walk. There have been few times, and by few I mean zero, where the Lord reminds me of a verse that I... It's just random. Like, like, it's like, I've never read that in my life. Like, it just kind of popped into my head, right? Like, like there it is. Doesn't happen, right? Where it's like, oh, there you Like, even, even, like, think about, like, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Like, he's reading Isaiah. He's reading the Isaiah scroll in the book of Acts and shows up. Philip shows up. He's like, oh, I, I know what you're reading. Let me, let me tell you about what's going on. The Spirit uses that. So the, the more we fill our minds and our hearts with God's truth, the more we're able in those moments to, you know, the Spirit will bring that to mind and go, ooh, yeah, this. Here's the one that always comes to my mind. No joke. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That is probably the, the most regular Bible verse that comes to my mind of any verse in the world. Why? Because I have three sons, and they drive me crazy. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. One of the worst Bible verses for me to ever memorize. Because it's always there. Reminding me that that is not a wise walk. Notice too, as you look through this and you see what being filled with the Spirit is, all of the implications are corporate. It's like, and you know, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Sitting by yourself with the Bible. They didn't have Bibles, they weren't sitting by themselves, right? In the morning, with, a, with your candle out and your cup of coffee. It's like, no, the implications are singing, gratitude, and submission, which requires others. Right? It requires others in, in this way. Like, how do, we, how do we do this? It's interesting that being filled with the Spirit is not then a solo endeavor, but it is communally understood and lived out. That's why I say, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we often mean a lot of other things. But if you just look at Ephesians 5, what do you see? That the expressions of a spirit-filled church are communal in their ability to live out. How we sing, the gratitude that we have, how we submit. 
And that's how they are expressed. And in those moments of disagreement with my brothers and sisters, I can submit to them and say, I'm happy to lay down my own preferences for you. I'm happy not to win this one. Not I begrudgingly lay it down because I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit, but I think you're wrong, and I still do. I'm like, what kind of, like, that's the most backhanded way to try and act like you're filled with the Spirit that I've heard. Like, yeah, I still think you're wrong, but I'll let you do it. Cool, like, you're not going to be on my kickball team, man. Just kidding, you're at my church, you have to be. So this is the reminder, then. Think about John 15. The Spirit comes, the Helper comes, he will testify about me. Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. You will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 2, they're beginning to live life together with the Holy Spirit, and the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Ephesians chapter 5, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, and that's going to express itself in how we live. How we live. The Spirit is the enabler and sustainer of our church life. We must give attention to that reality. That it is God, not me, who makes church life work. When you think you're making church life work, or you're thinking that your participation is what's going to make it healthy, then you are not realizing how it actually works. You can't get a room of people together with disparate opinions, different feelings, different affiliations politically, different thoughts on what's right and what's wrong about how to approach things in this world. You can't get that room of people together and expect them to get along without enablement. And we already know that can't come from ourselves. All I am is adding gasoline to fire. That's all I'm able to do. It comes from outside and changes what's within. That's what we have at our disposal. Four words to consider as we finish up. First, the word. Know what is true and commit to it. We fill our hearts with truth so that we can become true in how we live and the Spirit can enable us and empower us and remind us of what those true things are. That's the first. The second is worship. We sing truth, we rejoice together, and we worship God. There are a lot of things that go on our schedules, but I would love it if you guys could mark 10.30 to 12 every Sunday as a time where we get to live out our life enabled by the Spirit, that we worship a risen Lord. Third, we proclaim, we remember that Jesus has told us the Spirit is the one who speaks through us. And so we proclaim what is true. And what is true is that Jesus lives, that in him is life, and that you can have it in him. And then fourth, we submit. We listen to, honor, and submit to one another. So I say to Genesis, we have all we need to live faithfully as God has called us. The vision of what we can grow into happens when we live lives empowered by the Spirit, which results in the body being built up, not when we try and pump it up ourselves. It's crazy to think, but it's true, that we have what we need. We have what we need to be the church we must be for a world that needs to be redeemed.